Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. I hope you enjoy it. This is our final week of the Stopping Jesus series. And I know it's been long, but for me, it has sure been good. And I hope that you could say the exact same thing. Enjoy as we wrap this up today with our final installment of Stopping Jesus. As you all know, we've been focusing in on Isaiah 66 in the latter part of that verse where it says, But this is the one whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit, and he trembles at my word. And I can only hope that nine weeks into this series that we have found ourselves in a situation or a place where desiring so much of the presence of God and his word that we sit and tremble. Now, I don't want to simplify the visual that I have to how we encounter God to this visual I'm going to give you, but I'm going to throw that at you, and maybe you can kind of get an idea of what goes through my mind when I think of this sitting and trembling at the Word of God. And Have you ever had a, a new puppy? And You walk in a room, and that puppy's just sitting there looking at you, almost shaking, waiting for you to acknowledge them for you to reach down and pet that puppy or or do something with it. Now, none of us in here is puppies, but I I feel that sense of sitting at his feet and just hanging on, waiting for his acknowledgement, waiting on him to move, waiting on him to say something, waiting on him to reach down and to touch. And so we're going to look at some aspects of touch this morning. You see, there are situations where through foster care, you hear of, of stories where Foster parents or even adoptive, adoptive parents have uh, taken a child from an infant, as an infant that uh, was neglected and abused. And uh, you hear this phrase oftentimes in regards to them, a failure to thrive. They have a failure to thrive. Oftentimes an infant that is a failure to thrive scenario is in a situation where they can't stay healthy and well. Now just because your infant may or your child may exhibit some of this, I'm not saying your child is in a failure to thrive scenario, but dealing with neglect, they can't thrive. They don't socially interact real well. They, they, they can't seem to just get going. They don't excel in, in much of anything. But uh, psychology has shown and demonstrated that the solution to a failure to thrive scenario is to bring that baby and to hold and love that baby in your arms for hours and hours. There's something about a touch and, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that we are not in a place of failure to thrive, but we are thriving in Jesus' name in our walks with God. And we've looked at the past weeks about Jesus stopping and, and challenging us to stop for others. We look at, looked at him telling us very clearly, don't, don't make excuses for what I want to do in your life and, and what I want to do for and through you. And then... He moves on from that even in the area of our excuses and he says, even though you might think that you're the unlikely candidate, I make you likely because of what I do, not because of what you do. And then he reminded us that his move is never too late. And we looked at Lazarus as Jesus showed up four days after his death, commanded him out of the tomb and demonstrated his ability over death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We discovered that we have got to have a complete reliance upon him. We've discovered that when we rely on him, there's some truths that he can bring out and he can deal with some things in our lives to to further make us more uh, 
presentable, not presentable, but more in a, in, a, in a posture to receive from a well that will never run dry. Then we realized that those whom we spend time with oftentimes can affect the opportunities that we have to encounter a move of God in our lives. And we realize that sometimes Jesus stops for us because of the faith of others. That's why it's important that we intercede for people, we pray for people that need to know Jesus. And we we seek to, to find opportunities where Jesus can soften the heart of people who are paralyzed in their faith, paralyzed in their thought process to who God is and watch how he will manifest and move in their lives. And today... We're going to look at one of my favorite combinations of stories. One of the very first and deepest revelations I've ever received from the Word of God comes out of this story. And as I was looking through this, I was like, Lord, I don't want to re-preach a previous message. I want to encounter you stopping in this message. And I believe that's what's going to happen and has happened in this message today. So if you can, Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at this together. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. It's a little bit of controversy in this story because uh, people don't know how to pronounce this dude's name. Is it Jairus? Is it Jairus? We'll call him Jairus. Is that okay? That's how I'm going to call him. If you don't like it, get over it. I'm the one wearing the mic today. We see this in verse 21. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by that name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and imploring him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him, thronged about him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, I want you to remember that, 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, better, but rather grew worse. Have you ever found yourself at the end of the rope, at the end of your ability, at the end of what the, the world has to offer, at the end of everything, only to find yourself reaching out to God, needing His intervention in your lives? And we have a story here that is a beautiful presentation of where Jesus will come to our rescue even if we wait to bring him in at the tail end. And I'm thankful he did that. I oftentimes wonder, do we bring him in? Should we bring him in sooner? Of course, the answer is yes. But desperation was a powerful thing there. Verse 27, uh, in regards to this woman, she said, it says that she had heard the reports about Jesus and come up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garments, and she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, say immediately, immediately. Once again, we've seen this several times throughout these stories and these scriptures and everything that we've looked at. We see this immediate move of God, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? 
There's people touching you already. There's a crowd pressing in. You don't have room to move through here. Of course someone has touched you. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and in trembling, and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You know, have you ever been frustrated? Felt like that your turn was now and someone got in the way? Someone messed up your opportunity? See, I I think, and, and go back to the life of Jacob that we studied a few weeks ago where he made the best, or he made his opportunities happen. He made the blessing from his father happen. He, uh, he served to, to make the, the wives in which he, actually the wife in which he really wanted to, to become something for him. He, he did some things in order to acquire wealth in his own strength, even though Jesus did come behind, or God did come behind and, and intervene somewhat in that moment. But He was a self-made man until he encountered the presence of God. And and I want to challenge us in this place today to not not to concentrate on the fact of the opportunities that are before us or taken from us, but let us concentrate on the face of Jesus. Let us concentrate on the intervention in which He wants to do for us. I oftentimes hear people, especially students from student ministry, and as they become older and move on into young adults, say, I don't know where I'm going to find a, a spouse, and, and I'm seeking, and I've dated, and nothing's worked out. Am I going to stay single for the rest of my life? And my answer has always been just seek Jesus. Someone comes to me and says, I don't know what my purpose is. Do you know how to find your purpose? And the simple answer is just seek Jesus. When we're walking arm in arm with Jesus, as we're abiding in his presence, as we're living in close proximity to the one in whom knows everything about our future, about who we are, and about our destiny, when we walk in that close proximity, we will never miss out on the opportunity that he has laid before us as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Something interesting happens here. The the people from the ruler's house say, your daughter is dead in verse 36, but overwhelmed with what they said. Isn't it interesting to know that oftentimes when we're experiencing stress in our lives, Jesus has empathy. He's got that overwhelming experience with us that we are never alone in those encounters with him and those negative circumstances and those uh, situations where it seems like all hope has lost. Hope is with us and his name is Jesus. And Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue after he's had this disturbing news, he says, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. So we've got just a few with him at this moment, turning everyone away. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. The people were wailing and and weeping loudly. There was all kinds of chaos 
in that place. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But, they put, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her some words, which mean, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was how old? Twelve years of age. How long had the woman been dealing with the issue of blood? Twelve years. It's a correlation there that we're going to get to in just a minute. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. So we've got this story of this scenario of God moving, Jesus walking through the crowd and, and someone pulling from him their healing, and then another opportunity where he goes out and he makes the healing happen. Do you see where we could have two circumstances whereby we could reach out for Jesus to intervene in our lives? Pulling from him something that means we have some say-so in the moving of the power and the virtue, the King James says, of, the, of God, and yet there's also a place where we come with prayer and supplication, where we can ask Him to do in His name, and He wants to, not only wants to, but is delighted to. And He does, and He desires to do this all in this realm of peace and comfort in our lives, establishing us in who He is, discovering how awesome He is, and finding ourselves in a place of amazement of who He is. So, looking at the way in which Jesus can move and in which we can pull on him to move. I've got some observations that I like to do from this story. And observation number one. This is for someone very specifically in this room. I don't know who it is. Maybe they're online. But I feel like this one is a moment for somebody. It's this. God moves in the distractions. Does anyone in here hate distractions? And I, I struggle with distraction. But listen, just because there's a distraction around you, do you realize that the distractions that are around you are not yours? The distractions that are around you are not yours. The things, those outside forces are what cause distractions. Now, we might do some things and make some decisions that allow distractions to enter, but they are still outside sources, and we've got to realize that even when those outside sources come in to distract us, they are not going to hinder the move of God within our lives. Their intention is to do so, The distraction is set in place to do so. The enemy, you know, we call him the devil or Satan. He's very aware that one of the biggest tactics he has on our society and in our culture is to distract us with an overwhelming busyness that it makes it almost impossible for us to find times to engage and to encounter him, to enter into his presence, to have those times of quiet and rest within who he is. But I'm here to tell you today that even when those distractions are hurled at us and they're thrown at us and they seem to be the only thing that we can see there is one that is bigger that is larger than those distractions his name is Jesus and he can still move within those distractions of course the distraction I'm talking about in this story is the Jairus has approached Jesus and Jesus is walking with Jairus on his way to his house to heal the daughter 
It's already been set in motion. It's already been proclaimed. It is already the fate or the destiny that is before the, the, the situation before us. Jesus has, has seen the need. He's already said, I'm going to address that need, and they're on their way. And as Jesus is walking, he stops and he goes, Who? Who touched me? For I felt power leave my body. And in this distraction moment, he looks down and he deals with something that has been a trial in a woman's life for 12 long years. Now, Jairus, I can only imagine, had to have been sitting there saying, my, my daughter is, she's dying. My daughter, she's, she's on her deathbed. My daughter is potentially dead. As a matter of fact, uh, it's in one of my points here in just a minute, but I'm going to bring this to light right now. The language in which Jairus uh, uses, when you go back to the original text where he, he says to Jesus in, in verse, um, uh, back up here, verse uh, 23, my little daughter is at the point of death. Actually, the, the proper translation there could say, my daughter is sick and may have already died. For he, he's been gone long enough. He doesn't know the state of where she is by the time he reaches Jesus. For all he knows, she could have died before he got to Jesus. And now Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to heal your daughter. And, and on their way, this distraction comes in in which Jesus is now moving and the man gets word that his daughter is dead. Jesus, why? Why did you stop? Why was there a distraction? If that distraction hadn't happened, maybe you would have gotten to my house in time. There was still a move of God within the distractions. And I ask you in this place and online, I I ask even God as he hears these voices that that, that as distractions come into our lives, that we would have the wisdom from Him within ourselves to recognize the distraction and see past the distraction in the eyes, into the eyes of Jesus. Observation number two. One, God moves in the distractions. Number two, desperation moved Jesus or moves Jesus to stop. Remember I told you that this woman pulled something out of Jesus? Her words, her thoughts in verse 28 were this, if I even touch his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus in verse 30, he perceived in himself that power had gone out from him, he immediately turned to the crown and said, who touched my garments? What a risky thing to do. I want you to see the desperation in this woman. You realize that by Jewish customs and Jewish standards, she was unclean. Not only could she not be in a crowd, she couldn't be within so many feet of a crowd or a person. She was breaking the law to even be there. And the crowds were thick. And she positioned herself whereby Jesus could walk by and she could touch his garment. And Jesus 
having that, that, that power pulled from him, turns around and says, who touched me? And I can only imagine that this woman was afraid to speak out, that, that in this moment there had to have been a, a thought in her mind that says, if I speak up, even though I know my body has been touched and I have felt in my body that I have been made whole, if I speak up, everyone knows that I am unclean and I have touched a teacher. I have touched a religious man. I've touched somebody and in so doing, I've made him unclean. And let me tell you something in this place today that there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can participate in. There is no kind of affliction that could even come upon us that when we come to Jesus, it would cause him to be unclean. But in the converse of that, if we come to him in our unclean self, in our disturbed situation, in our place of feeling inadequate and unavailable to him, if we would only just come to him, he does the contrary and He touches us to the point to where we are made clean. You see, we spend our lives as Christians oftentimes beating ourselves up over our failures instead of running after God for His successes. We beat ourselves up because we are not good enough. And I'm telling you, you're right. And that's why He put things in motion. That's why He did the work. That's why He has prepared a way. That's why He has built the temple in which He can house, called us, where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's a work that He does. What a powerful moment. She came to Him unclean. She left Him clean. I ask you today, as we come into his presence, I know none of us came in righteous and holy enough, but we can leave here righteous by the blood. None of us came in here clean, but we can leave here clean. We can leave here having dealt with those things that have been tearing us down, that have been weakening our resolve, that in in all appearance has made us ineffective. But I'm so glad that the future that God has for me is not built in the past. And it's not hinged upon the past. It's tied to his word. And in regards to things being tied to his word, that leads me to my third observation. Observation number one. God moves in the distractions. Observation two. Desperation moves Jesus to, to stop. Hang on just a second. Okay. Number, sorry, they were all having D words until the last point. I didn't even try to do that. And so I was like, what happens if the, third, or the fifth and final point has a D word in there? I'll be like, oh, Jesus. Anyway, I'm still going to be like, oh, Jesus. Okay. Number three, facts don't determine the truth. What? What? Listen to this. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher? What is the fact? Your daughter is dead. What is the truth? Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. We cannot allow what is out here for us to see to determine what we pursue. 
think that was something profound right there. Those things in which we see before us are not the things that determine whom and what we pursue. The voice of Jesus determines what we pursue. The word of God determines what we pursue. This is what is the underlying current for where we walk and where we move. For the report was the daughter was dead. The facts were the daughter was dead. But the truth was Jesus who says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me and the one in whom we get to the Father through, the one who is truth, is there outlining exactly what his will is. And his will for this girl was to raise her up, to heal her. And I can tell you that there might be circumstances in our lives. Doctors might be saying something. Attorneys might be saying something. Our bank accounts might be saying something. Those are facts. But the truth is determined upon the word of God who says I am healed, who says I am going to be blessed and prosper, who says I'm above and not below. I'm the head and not the tail. If you're struggling with fact over truth, maybe you could push aside some of those distractions we talked about earlier. Spend a little more time reading his truth. Discovering his truth. Opening up his truth. Finding out what he has to say about you. He says an awful lot about you right here. So God moves in this distraction. Desperation moves Jesus to stop. Facts don't determine the truth. <laughs> and I love this. Jesus cares about the details. I want you to see this. This is so cool. I didn't, I didn't catch this ever. I've, I've, this is probably my third or fourth time to preach out of this passage. Not this same message, but out of this passage. I've never seen this before. Verse 38, it says, when they came to the house, this is after Jesus has healed the woman with the the issue of blood. This is after he's gotten to the house and he's noticed all the crazy people, right? The the, uh, chaos in the place. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the people and they're weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered the house, he said, then why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead yet. And they laughed at him. Look at this. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those that were with him. And he went in. Luke tells us who they were. We read it earlier a little bit in this passage as well. Luke says, and he came to the house and he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, James, the father, and the mother. Five. I want you to hear the significance of this real quick. Albert Barnes points this out in his commentary. It was, an, it was important that there should be witnesses of the miracle, and then he chose a sufficient number five. These witnesses were enough to establish the fact. The witnesses were impartial. The fact was she was dead, and that was established beyond a doubt. Of this, the mourners, the parents, and the messengers, the people were satisfied. If she was presented to the people alive, the proof of the miracle was complete. The presence of more than five witnesses would have made the scene tumultuous and even have been less satisfactory evidence of the fact of the restoration of the child. Five sober, sober witnesses are always better than the confusing voice of a rabble. These were the same disciples and were with him at the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane. Isn't it interesting, the details? Jesus knew when he went into that room 
that he was taking five witnesses to give better validity to the miracle of God in their lives. You don't think he doesn't pay attention to details? If he calls you to do something, do you think he's going to help you put a plan together to get there? As a matter of fact, he's going to put things in motion to get the best outcome possible. And the best outcome possible is not only is Jairus' daughter healed, but there's a proper witness and testimonial of it to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt what Jesus did. My last observation, and this is powerful as well because we get stuck thinking that church should uh, minister to just this Person, and we get stuck thinking that this is the type of people that belong in our church. And I'm going to tell you today that God hasn't given up on anyone because God's move is cross-generational. We don't have a more special generation that when God sets the stage to move, he's going to move in 10-year-olds as well as 3-year-olds as well as 30-year-olds as well as 90-year-olds. And that's where I want to point out this situation between this woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter. Remember we pointed out that the woman had struggled with a bleeding condition for 12 years. We also pointed out that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. You see, the daughter was 12, the woman's issue was 12. They began their journey up to this point at the exact same time to have an encounter with Jesus. And I want you to recognize that we have seen a dying, it seems like in all appearance, a dying church that is not effective, that is not making grounds or headway within the United States with advancing the kingdom of God. And I'm here to say that even though this woman might have been weak, might have been at the end of her effectiveness, she in this situation uh, uh, resembles the old and the dying what seems like dying generation. But if you recollect or recall from this story, Jesus stopped for her and he stopped for a previous generation and he started to move with her before he could move on to the next generation. For the woman represents the previous generation in which God is still poised and ready to move for. But this, this little girl, she represents a current generation that is also seemingly dead. A current generation that seems like we can't reach, that has no desire for spiritual matters in the realm of what we call Jesus Christ and Christianity. But we've got a scenario here where Jesus has restored the woman back to health and strength. And then he goes to this next generation and together there's a move of God where we see that this little daughter is at the point of death, but now she is brought back to life and there is a generation before us that might appear dying and there's a generation to follow that might appear to have no life whatsoever but Jesus is here today Jesus is presenting himself in northeastern Oklahoma through Word of Life Miami and through various churches in which I talk to pastors around all of this region to move not just for a previous generation but to move for a next generation and do that together you see God's move is cross generational You see, when Jesus 
stop for this woman. He didn't stop for the distraction. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I dot com and click on the give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.